Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Today we are starting a new series, we're embarking on a new journey as a church whanau and I'm just excited to welcome you all to that. So if you've got your Bibles or your devices or whatever, I want you to open to Matthew uh, chapter 11 um, and we're just going to be working with two verses, 28 to 30, uh, yeah, 28, 29, yeah, 28 to 30, uh, is that two or three? I can't remember. Ah, it's been a big week. We sold our house and now we don't know where we're going, so <laughs> I know, yeah, anyway, uh, it is what it is. Um, so we're going to be working with this a little bit, and you'll see even why this, for me, is just, just really important. Matthew 11, verses 28 through to 30 says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does reading that just feel good for the soul sometimes? Oh, let's just invite God. Holy Spirit, would you just come and rest on each one of our hearts? Jesus, my Lord and my God, I know that you are here and that you are with me and that you are with each and every one of us. We thank you for your love and your grace and your peace and your comfort at work in our lives. And Jesus, we want to invite you right into the very center of this new journey. Take us deeper into who you are. Take us deeper into your story. Captivate us once more, I pray. Jesus, we love you. And we long to, to live and move in the rhythms of your grace. Amen. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a scripture for the, for the day and the age that we live in. Because we live in such a busy and such an overwhelmed world. Quick poll, who here has used the word busy today? In the last two days? In the last week? There's a few of you who haven't used the word busy at all. I'm either calling liars, or you guys should be preaching this message. Um, but our world is so busy and so overwhelmed. In fact, we wear busyness like some sort of badge of honor. We talk about it, we gloat about it, we, we sort of rub our eyes and we're all glary-eyed with one another and it's like, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Like, you know, we're, we, just, we just love the fact that we're just so busy in the West. We love the fact that we are completely overwhelmed and overworked. You know, in this day and age, we are more anxious than we've ever been before. We're more affected by mental health. One in six New Zealanders in the course of their lifetime will be diagnosed uh, with either anxiety or depression, um, which, is a, which is a pretty significant stat. Um, we are working more than we ever have in history. In fact, in the West, there's average working hours is 55 hours plus a week. The irony being that every hour after 55, you don't become any more efficient. So we're not working uh, better. 
we're just working more. We're more consumed by the things we're doing during the week and we're actually getting paid less and less for it as well. And so there's this stress that's introduced into the picture as well. We are more relationally connected than we've uh, we're more relationally connected than we've ever been in history uh, through uh, social media, Instagram, uh, through email, through all kinds of different technology. Uh, but actually, we are more relationally disconnected than ever before as well. In fact, social, the experience of, of isolation uh, and loneliness has doubled in adults since the 80s from t- from 20% to 40%. What that means is 40% of adults, 40% of people over 18, report feeling that they are lonely all the time. Not some of the time, all the time. That is a tragic statistic. Two-fifths of all people feel like they don't have real, meaningful, connected relationship that speaks into their lives and into their sense of identity and purpose. This is a tense time we live in and there seems to be this social fatigue that we embrace and celebrate in the most bizarre way possible and it's actually causing us harm but luckily for us in the church we've got it figured out because we have Jesus amen wrong Guys, here's the crazy thing, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're in church or not because you take all of those stats from the world and you put them over all of the studies that we've seen done uh, on, on churches and everything and the stats are almost identical. So what that means is either faith isn't working or we're not doing faith right. You know, but there's some sort of disconnect that's happening. There's some sort of, there's a pain point that we're experiencing in, in, our, in our culture at the moment. In this cultural moment, there's, there's some sort of disjoint at, at hand and it's something we need to think about. And this is why I think it is important for us to be talking uh, about the things that nourish our soul over these next five weeks. Catching Breath is this journey we're going on and I wanna invite you. This series has come out of probably for me, uh, 18 months or two years of of really just hard wrestling of figuring out what what does a healthy rhythm uh, with Jesus look like? What is that life supposed to look like? What's supposed to be good for me? How do I I live for Jesus in the best way possible? It's been this this real to and fro and that's uh, that's really where this series has ended up coming from. Um, uh, I want us to be able to ask some questions and explore some of these these ancient disciplines, these things uh, that people in the church have always done as a way of developing their relationship with God. And I want to look at what that looks like for our current context. I I want us to sort of inquire of ourselves, to ask ourselves some hard questions about, about how it is we look after, how we uh, how, how we look after our relationship with God, how we tend to the garden of our soul, because those kinds of questions really matter. Um, during, uh, during the series as well, uh, every Wednesday, I'm going to be putting out just a little podcast that's going to be like a guided prayer reflection on a, on a, on a piece of scripture. Um, and that's just like a little bit of an extra thing. But, but my invitation to you is, is they're basically going to be about 10 minutes long. And my invitation to you is not to listen to them in your car. It's to to listen to them at home and, and to shut off every other, every other bit of tech, every other distraction and to sit down. Maybe it's first thing in the morning or the last thing at night, but actually to carve out 10 minutes to just sit and be with Jesus and to let the scripture read you, you know? 
So I'm hoping that that would be a meaningful thing as we sort of embark on this new journey together. So please, I want to invite you over these next five weeks, come and, come and join us. I've done, I did the same message this morning. Um, so it's just, it's, you know, same message today. But for the next three weeks, we've got different messages morning and night. We're going to be exploring these, these different things that sort of nourish and equip us for our journey with God. Um, <clears throat> And then on the last week, Vic's going to be doing the same message morning and night as well. So we've got eight messages kind of exploring this thing. And hopefully you guys will in some way or another, either by being at church or listening online, uh, will be able to come on that whole journey with us. But embrace it. It's going to be a, it's going to be a wonderful thing. I, I firmly believe it. What I want to do today is I want to, I want to frame the series, what it's about a little bit. Um, I want to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Because Jesus extends this very open invitation to follow Him. And it's an invitation towards a very particular way of being. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack that a little bit. Now, I was talking before about this, the, the craziness of this world, this busyness that we tend to glamorize, and this, the way that this Western world kind of functions. I, we just sort of looked at a few little things. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been in church ministry now for 10 years, and I think uh, during that time I've seen a couple of uh, ideas uh, or approaches to faith really come to light and kind of capture people in, a, in quite a powerful way. And it's, it's sort of been the thing that people have lent on as they've, they've done the church thing. Um, and so these are, th- these are little sayings you might have heard of uh, in the last 10 years. Who, who here has heard this one? It's a relationship, not a religion. Who's heard that? Okay, now I've got to say this. Really beautiful sentiment. I understand the heart behind it. Right, that, that, that it is all about us having a relationship with God. Yes, but you can't say it's not a religion because our religious belief is that we have a relationship with God. You're allowed to laugh at that, right? But here's the thing, that's, that, here's the thing that I find uh, just a little bit troubling about that is that it neglects the rich tradition, everything that's come before us in the Christian narrative, everything that Jesus sort of put in place. It's like, you know, when Jesus institutes communion, he institutes a religious ritual that, is, that its, its purpose is of helping us reconnect with the story and reconnect with Him again. That's a religious ritual. When we, when we do baptism, that is a religious thing. When we respond to the invitation to prayer, that is a, that is a way of, of reconnecting. It's a discipline of helping us learn and grow towards God. And so the tragedy of, of a sentiment like this is that you end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And so it's kind of this like, it's this really nice idea. I get what it's trying to say. It's get, it's, I understand that it's, it's, I don't really want the rules. And I don't, you know, it's like, I just want to have this sort of free-flowing thing. But any relationship, any romantic relationship worth its salt knows the importance of discipline, right? You ever talk to one of those couple who have been, couples who have been married for like 50 years? And, and it's like, man, what do you guys do? And they're like, every, every Wednesday night for the last 40 years. We've done date night, you know? Have you, have you guys talked to people like that? Or, you've got these, or you've, you have these people who are like, you know, we come from a time where like if something was broken, you fixed it, you didn't throw it away. You know, like there are these little things that, that you kind of hear and people who have really gone the distance. And so that's the thing about relationship anyway is that it requires discipline, it requires focus, it requires a certain level of commitment and actually to, to sort of bake exercises or an intentionality into the very fabric of what you do. That's how you sustain relationships over a long period of time. And so something like this, while a beautiful sentiment, neglects the rich things that have come, come before us. So yes, of course it's relationship. 
But it's also religion, and we should feel okay about owning that. The second thing that I've sort of seen uh, that's become very common in the, in, the, in the Western approach to doing church is this whole thing of what would Jesus do? Who had a WWJD bracelet? Right on. How did that work out for you? Yeah, those little initials down there, they sort you out. They stop you from lusting after that girl or guy. I don't know. Here's the thing about, here's the thing about that, okay, is that, is that once again, an, a really beautiful idea is, is this idea that no matter what situation I come up against, I want to sort of prayerfully imagine how Jesus would respond to this, and then I will just do that action. Really beautiful sentiment. The problem with it is that it reduces faithfulness in Jesus to, to just his specific responses in specific circumstances. So it's like, how might he do this kind of thing in this particular instance? It, it doesn't really make space for really the, the, the much deeper, richer life that was Jesus. Because the thing is, is Jesus didn't just go, what's the right thing to do here? Actually, no, the responses of Jesus came out of the deep well of his, of his personal relationship with God. They, they, they were things that like couldn't help but spring out of his life. You guys, you guys get what I mean by that? So I think that these ideas, even though well-intentioned, they, they move us a little further away from this wellspring idea, this idea that the way we live and function as followers of Christ is to sort of come out of the center of who we are. Uh, and actually, they move us more towards this very behavioral approach, as in, you know, just tell me what the right thing is to do, and then I'll do that thing. And then sometimes I won't do that thing. Um, but then maybe but then if I do enough of the other right things again, then, you know, like it's, it's kind of like this very disjointed thing, and it doesn't give space for like actually the this, this real growth and development and shaping deep within us so that there's this overflow that happens. You know, Oswald Chambers, who wrote uh, a, really, uh, a really famous devotional book called um, My Utmost for His Highest. If you haven't done it, it's, it's worth just doing one year. Um, it's a pretty easy devotional to follow. Uh, he says this, the Sermon on the Mount. So this is him just talking uh, about uh, the sermon that Jesus gives uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identif identification with Jesus Christ. It's like, it's not just a list of things that you should do, right? The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting His way with us. So it's like when, when the Holy Spirit is at work in us, there's like this stirring, there's this thing that's going on. And the Sermon on the Mount, the things that Jesus is talking about, those are the things that flow out of us. That's what He's talking about. And so we have this thing. We live in this world where we're kind of stuck in this somewhat behavioral approach. There's this certain way of, certain way of thinking about church. We're incredibly busy. We look at scriptures like the one I started with and we go, oh, I love the idea of, of, of Jesus' yoke being easy and his burden being light. But the reality is, is we're so sucked up in the busyness of life. We're so sort of consumed by those sorts of things that often this whole church thing and this whole faith thing just feels like a list of other things that we need to add into our week. And so sometimes even just rocking up to church is like, I'm just so exhausted and I just don't even know if I've got the energy for people. And I just, oh, you know, and you get up in bed and it's like, I should pray this morning, but I know God loves me. You know, like, it's like, you know, it's like, can I have a new car? You know, like, it's, it's like this, it's like, it actually becomes this other exhausted thing. And so, you know, we, we look at the scriptures and we go, yes, the burden is, the burden is light, but actually we don't, we don't really experience that. It's, it's not our lived reality. And that's something we have to be thinking about and wrestling with. 
And so what I think when I look at this whole idea of, you know, like uh, relationship, not religion, and, and WWJD, and I look at some of the, the stresses that are on the church in, in this current cultural moment, I, I think that one of the things I see is that, is that we're missing that, that whole thing of the, of the deep spring of life that sort of comes up from within this deeper life. I think we've made the emulation of Jesus the goal rather than the imitation of Jesus. Now, I recognize that's a little bit of semantics. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain what I mean using a golf analogy. <laughs> Any golf fans? No, none of you. <laughs> the next four minutes are going to be awesome. <laughs> okay, so I'm a big golf fan. Uh, when, I, when I was 10 years old in 1997, uh, there was a young player who burst onto the scene. His name was Tiger Woods. Anyone heard of him? Of course you did. He did a bunch of things he shouldn't have in 2009. Um, <clears throat> but uh, anyway, uh, so in 1997, he came, burst onto the scene. Uh, I was uh, staying at a hotel in Topol with my family, and I watched him win his first major tournament, the 1997 US Masters. It was amazing. But here's something I noticed about Tiger Woods then, is that every single time before he would take a shot, he would always lift up his, just his left, his left sleeve on his shirt. He would just pull it up just a little bit. And you watch him to this day, every single time before he takes a shot, he lifts up his little shirt just before he takes a shot. You know, it's like, I, I don't know, so he can get more power or something. I don't know what he does. But as a 10-year-old, I was like, that's cool. So I'm going to do that. And now I'm 30, nearly 32, and guess what I do every single time I'm about to take a shot? I'm just telling you guys the truth. Like, I'm just, you know, here I am just copying Tiger Woods, right? So anyway, so that's what I do to this day. It's just this thing that I do that I emulate. But then... In 2012, there was another professional golfer called Keegan Bradley. Anyone heard of him? Definitely not, because you guys, I'm nearly lost you. But I'll bring you back. Right, anyway, Keegan Bradley, he won a major tournament called the PGA Championship in 2012. I was watching. And what he does before every single shot is he's standing there, and he's got a golf club, and he's eyeing up where he's going to put it, and he's twirling the club like this. Just twirling the club like this. And so I thought to myself, that's cool. And so, now when I play golf, and I'm about to make a shot, I'm twirling my club. And, pulling up the left sleeve on my shirt. And then, you know, because this is a seven iron, you guys just know that I'm stepping up to that ball, and I'm hitting it perfectly, right? 145 meters, perfect fade, left to right, dropping it eight feet short of the hole. Easy, easy. Guys. I wish some of you knew golf. <laughs> anyway, the point is I don't do that. I can't go up there and hit it like a pro each and every time just because I, I lift up my left sleeve and I twirl the club. I can't do that. Those are things that I emulate, but my life is not an imitation of professional golfers. I haven't been learning how to play golf since I was a fetus. I haven't had all kinds of different coaches tell me what to do. I don't have my swing filmed and I look at the biomechanics of it all. I don't get caught up in all those things. What happens is every now and then I get super into it for about six weeks. Then I realize that um, I start playing real rubbish. I get real angry at myself. Um, I start like swearing at myself on the golf course and telling myself how much of a bad human I am. And then, um, and then I just have to impose a ban on myself. And that's pretty much how my, how my golf goes. But the reality is, right, is that, is that my life is, like, in terms of golf, it just becomes an, I'm emulating some of the things, but there's, there's, there's none of the depth. There's, like, there's no imitation of the life 
that they had, that those golfers have. That, you know, there's a, there's a way that they become professional, what they do. Like with anything, if you want to excel in anything in life, it's like you've got to develop and shape this craft over time. And here's the thing that we're called to. We are called to the imitation of Christ. That is the thing that Jesus invites us into. Imitation is the way of the Jesus follower. You won't recognize this word, mathetes, but that's in your Bible. It's actually Greek. It's the word that we translate to disciple. Um, Actually, a more helpful word that Methetus translates to is the word apprentice. It's probably a more appropriate word. Um, It generally means the one who engages in learning through the instruction of another. Um, We get the word discipline and disciple um, comes from the Latin word discipulus, which is the word for pupil. Um, So it's just the word for sort of student or for the idea of learning. Um, But the word disciple sort of came somewhere in the Christian sphere and we just sort of latched onto that. Um, And so, you know, very good word to be using, but, but probably within our own context, in the world we live in, in terms of understanding exactly what a disciple is, probably the idea of an apprentice might be more helpful for you. Um, Here's how it would sort of work in first century Israel or or through a lot of the Jewish tradition is um, when you were a kid uh, at five years old, you were told that you were going to memorize the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible, for those of you who don't know. Um, Did any of you guys start doing that? No? Okay, cool. So we already know that they were like way more onto it than us. Um, So at five, you would start learning the Torah. And if by 10, uh, you had somehow managed to like memorize it all and you were one of the top students, you then got to go and learn with some, uh, with some other rabbis who would teach at the local synagogue. And, um, and, they were, uh, and then you would learn about all the oral traditions because not all of the Jewish scriptures, scriptures were actually written at that time. It was mostly just the Torah and everything else was just kind of handed around and spoken about. And it was kind of explored that way. Uh, and so you would get to do that. Um, those of you who didn't make the cut, which would have been most of us, uh, you would have gone back to the family business where you would have learned to have been a fisherman or a carpenter uh, or whatever else it would have been. You would have gone and learned the family trade. Um, so then you've got that, that next sort of bracket, 10 to 15. And then at the very end of that, if somehow, if you were the best of the best of the best, if you were lucky enough, if you were smart enough, if you were onto it enough, you would be invited by a rabbi to be his disciple, to be his apprentice. So Jesus, uh, if you're not aware, a lot of the time in the Gospels, I think he's referred to uh, in conversation about 90 times in the Gospels, and I think about 60 of them he's called rabbi or teacher. Um, so this is a very common way of, of, of relating to and connecting with Jesus. Um, <clears throat> Uh, most of the time he's viewed that way. He wasn't like, he wasn't like this pioneer. He didn't like invent being a rabbi, okay? Like there were lots of rabbis around at the time and all of them would have had disciples. Um, but all of the other rabbis would have been picking the best of the best of the best of the best. But what kinds of people did Jesus go to? Come on guys, I'm sure you know this. Fishermen, tax collectors, terrorists. That's a zealot, if anyone's worried. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like he goes and he picks all the people who are not the best of the best of the best of the best. And this is why, in a way, they're actually just, it's like if a rabbi asks you to be an apprentice, you drop what you're doing. Like, that's a big deal. So Jesus goes and extends this invitation. Would you come and would you be my apprentice? And he invites these people on a journey with him. Here's the thing, that the, the, the rabbi would 
would invite you in the hope that you would take up this thing called a yoke. A yoke was like a Jewish euphemism for for uh, their teaching, their interpretation, their way of engaging with the scriptures. And the, and the hope would be that you would basically train these disciples. They would be with you for a number of years. They would eat with you, um, sleep in the same rooms as you, just everything. They would be so totally taken up in your life. And at the end of their time with you, they would go on and they would carry your legacy and your teaching. That was the hope for the rabbi. That's why they would invite people to go into this life with them. And so when Jesus talks about his easy yoke, he's talking about his, his, his way of engaging with the Scriptures. And more than that, he's talking about his yoke as being the inaugurating and the inbreaking and the, and, and the, the coming kingdom. You know, like, so, so Jesus has got this, this, just this teaching thing, but there's also this much bigger thing that he's up to that he's inviting these guys into. Now, if you were a disciple, if you were one of these guys who was invited, uh, you desired to, to learn not only the teaching, but you actually, as a, as a disciple, as an apprentice of your rabbi, your desire would to imi- be to imitate their entire life. Um, and you didn't just read books or, or listen to the lectures. You were required as a disciple to be very interactive. So it would be like everything the rabbi did, you would go, well, why'd you do that? Why'd you say that? And what do you see in the scriptures all the time? You know, rabbi, why are you doing that? Teacher, why are you doing this? Jesus, why are you doing this? There's always this inquiring. It's like you're expected to want to be a sponge, to want to soak up, to know everything. A disciple would literally, in terms of saying yes to the invitation, they would go, right, I, I am going to do everything I can to become you. I'm going to do everything I can for my entire life to imitate you and look like you. In fact, there's this ancient sort of Jewish notion that's sort of been passed down. And the idea is this, is that, you know, that the apprentice would be covered by the dust of their rabbi. The idea being that you would, you know, they would walk along these dusty roads and you would walk so closely behind your rabbi. You'd be so sort of intertwined with his life that all the dust that's coming off the back of his seat would kind of stick to you. So this idea of being covered by the dust of your rabbi is incredibly beautiful. And this is the thing that Jesus is inviting these guys into. He's inviting people to be his apprentices. And his expectation as a, as a rabbi would be that they would come and be with him, that they would come and become like him, and that they would then go and do the things that he did. That is the hope of the rabbi, of any rabbi. But for Jesus, this is, this is his hope for these guys that he invites into the gospel story. But here's the thing. When we fast forward to our current context in this current cultural moment, um, <clears throat> we are the kinds of Christians who get far more caught up in the doing part. We're always asking what is the right thing to do. This is why we ask questions like, WWJD. We get far more caught up in the doing thing. What is the right thing to do in this moment? How do I, how do I serve? Where do I serve? How can I be generous? How can I, how can I do this thing in church? How do we make miracles happen? All of this sort of stuff. These are the kinds of things that we're asking, but we don't often give the appropriate space or energy or discipline to the being and the becoming part. The being with and the becoming part are the most important things because they are supposed to inform the doing part. It's out of those first two that the fullness of the third can come to fruition. And we see this in the life of Jesus. We see the way He spends time with God, the way He he sort of... uh, 
uh, embodies certain disciplines in his own life so that he can do the kingdom stuff. Here are some of the things that, that we see in the person of Jesus. We see that Jesus fasts. We see that he seeks silence, stillness, and solitude. We see that he practices Sabbath. Um, we see that he values rest. We see that he loves fellowship um, and, that he, and that he is all about celebration. Um, and we'd see how, how ju- just how much he is engaged with the scriptures and the investment in his own study and learning from a very young age. These are things that are hard-baked into the person and character of Christ. And his invitation to his disciples is that they would come and learn those things from him and become like him so that they can do what he did. And it's not just an invitation that he extends to those 12. Because we see in Mark chapter 8 that the invitation is extended to anyone. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find it. When he says, Follow me, He's saying, put down the things of your own life. Put down your own agendas. Lay those things to rest and come and step into a different way of being. Come and embody a different rhythm. Come and discover the heights and the depths and the widths of God's love and come and learn how to recognize the inbreaking of the kingdom. Come and learn how to be a part of that. Come and learn how to, to recognize and see what it is the fa- that the Father is doing. Come and be a part of that. Come and follow me. But in order to do that, it's an invitation that you've got to step into. You see, the apprentices never stepped into the invitation lightly because this was like the height of the Jewish education system. This was only something that the best of the best of the best of the best ever got. And what Jesus does is it's it's kind of like this, okay? Imagine you got like a free ride to Stanford University, you know, like full scholarship to like, you know, one of the biggest universities in the world. And it's just like Jesus is going, no, this is open to everyone. Before it used to be only for the elite, but now... This is for everyone. I mean, it's a pretty, bit of a chaotic invitation in a way. But this is what Jesus says. No, this, this is a path that everyone can journey down. So when Jesus says follow, this is what he means. Would you step in? Would you, would you know that invitation? Would you, would you own it? Would you be about it? In a way, it's... It's just not something we can kind of hold glibly. It's like we've, we've got to make that decision with all of ourselves. Um, <clears throat> Dallas Willard uh, says this, uh, when we find, what we find here is true of any human endeavor capable of giving significance to our lives. We are touching upon a general pin- principle of human life. It's true for the public speaker or the musician or the teacher or the surgeon. A successful performance at a moment of crisis rests largely and essentially on the depths, upon the depths of a self wisely and rigorously prepared in the totality of its being. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's basically this. It's like anyone who is successful in their, in their craft, anyone who's at the top of the game, they're able to respond to things that happen in a moment, not because they've been told what are the right things to do, but because there is a lifetime of investment and preparation that's gone before. A surgeon is able to do things because, he, you know, in the heat of a moment is able to repair a tear in a heart 
because he's practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced on on all sorts of you know hopefully not people but he's got other people but you know like they they have anyone seen the neck they would like practice on pigs and stuff anyway that's that's beside the point um but you know there's so there's so much investment into 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 mastering a craft and this is the thing that Jesus invites us to the to, with a totality of ourselves to pursue this life as a disciple uh, Dallas Willett also goes on to say this. Um, the secret of the easy yoke is simple. Actually, uh, it is the intelligent, informed, unyielding resolve to live as Jesus. That's so funny. Oh, it's so easy. It's just the intelligent, informed, unyielding resolve to live as Jesus lived in all aspects of his life, not just the moment of specific choice for action. Quite a full-on sentence, right? But ultimately, it just comes down to this. It's like, there's a certain resolve, a, a willingness to kind of go, yeah, I want to I figure this out. I want to explore. And it's a willingness to learn. The apprentice isn't expected to step in and be perfect, but the apprentice is, is expected to, to step in and be close, you know, and to be exposed and to learn and to be, be willing to be stretched and to question and to grow. It's this very like dynamic thing, but there's an intentionality and a resolve that must be chosen and stepped into. And so with those thoughts in mind, we land once again back on the same bit of Scripture where we started, where Jesus says this to his, to his followers, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is not something that Jesus lumps on us. This is something that Jesus longs for us. This is the desire of, of God's heart. That we would be in an invested, growing, vibrant, thriving relationship with Him. Jesus extends this invitation because He knows, not because He expects us to, to live out a bunch of rules, but because He knows that it is in this rhythm we discover a deep well from which we can draw, from which we can move towards the things of God's kingdom. So this is an invitation. And over the coming weeks, we're gonna be looking at some of these rhythms. Just a couple, there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot that could be said around spiritual disciplines. You could, do, you could do a whole year on this stuff. We're just doing five weeks. But we're gonna be looking at some things and some things that I think are very deliberate and very important for our current cultural context, things that will um, uh, equip us and nourish us and even just help us to embody something different and live in the world in a different way. I think this is a really significant moment for us and it's an important invitation. And so I wanna start off the series by saying, would you come? Would you be willing to let the rest of Jesus come and meet you? Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.